Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego kyle and Johan Clausen from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. If you're just joining us, Kim just passed 50 episodes. I'm still celebrating. Kim, that's exciting. It is exciting and I'm celebrating too. That's right. And for episode 51, you brought Johan in. He's here to... Uh, Talk to us about, well, I'm going to let you say the title of the show because I think it's fantastic. Yes. So today's title is What's Risk Got to Do With It? You like it? I, I do. I'm just waiting for Johan to break out into song. Right. Yeah. And as he said, it, you know, what so would. Well, it's a secondhand emotion, right? Isn't that what the song says? Right. And it's true. It is a secondhand emotion. It's a powerful emotion. It well, is. Fear that comes along with risk. We'll get to that. So, Eric, you get both of us today. And as I was thinking about it, we wanted to discuss risk mm -hmm. because it is very powerful. And a lot of folks don't really know what risk is. Mm -hmm. And in an, in an investment context, at least. Right. <laughs> I mean, if they're going to jump off a cliff and go cliff diving or hang gliding, they get that type of risk. But in terms of investing, yeah, you know, and, we're going to we're going to really talk about that. And I think risk, Johan, you, you said fear being the, the main emotion that kind of brings up. Uh, I always look at it as fear leading to paralysis, just not making decisions, not wanting to move. You know, personally, I've done some ropes courses, some high ropes courses, and I never knew that I had a fear of heights until a very large body was on a very thin wire. <laughs> you know, I was just like, uh, this doesn't look like it's going to hold me kind of thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I froze up a little bit. I didn't want to move my arms to grab something because I was just fearful. And I, I think that that Fear leads to paralysis uh, when it comes to decision-making too, right? Well, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes it also leads people to leap oh, um, yeah. into the arms of what they don't know. And so in the investment context, yes, it, sometimes it causes people, fear of, of risk causes people to mm, pull in their horns and just sit still and not do anything. Mm. And that actually, sometimes that's perfect. <laughs> or it makes them do things that they wouldn't necessarily do, right? Exactly. Right. And so one of the reasons I have Johan here today is to talk about some of those details, uh, not because I can't, but because Johan is very good at it. And I like to think of myself as the fun parent and <laughs> Johan, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> so, but really, what's risk got to do with it is I think a really good way to think about this. And, and I chose this title specifically because some of the following, I'm going to list some, some things that I commonly hear from potential clients and current clients. So here's a very short list because it could be very long. Here's what I hear from clients and potential clients. I need to make up for lost time. I'm getting old, so I guess I should be pretty risky. We hear that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we also hear... I don't want to lose any money. 
I won't be able to handle any drops in value in my portfolio at all. Heard that a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I don't want anything risky. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's risk in any investment. Uh, these are just a few things we hear that are really commonplace conversations with potential clients, current clients. I think it's really indicative of the misunderstanding of what risk actually is and how we can look at handling it in potential client portfolios in those conversations. And so here's where I'm going to turn it over to Johan to talk about the nitty gritty. Well, so one, the, the place that I wanted to start with this is thinking about separating out the types of risk, um, thinking about it on the one hand from the client perspective, and on the other hand from investment. From a client perspective, there's sort of three different kinds of risk, right? Um, there's risk tolerance or our attitude toward risk. You know, somebody comes in and says, oh, I can take a lot of risk. You know, it doesn't bother me when uh, markets go up and markets go down. Or it bothers me very much when they go up, and, and especially when they go down. Interestingly, people are much more concerned with market movements when the market is going down. When it's going up dramatically, they don't tend to have too much in the way of fear about that. The second uh, is risk perception, or, or people's understanding of risk. A lot of people don't really understand how much risk is involved in investment in the markets just general. There's always some kind of risk involved in any kind of investment. Otherwise, you wouldn't get any kind of return. The third sort of thing that, that we want to talk about with our clients is their risk capacity or their need to take risk or you know their ability to take risk or their need to take it. So our questionnaires and, and most client questionnaires that, uh, that advisors use to find out who their clients are and what they do are driven toward the understanding of the client's risk tolerance, of their attitude towards risk. You know, if the market goes down 10% over the course of three months, how are you going to feel about that? Are you going to panic, scream, and flee? Or is that an opportunity (laughs) for you to put more money to work? Sometimes the questions in a good risk tolerance questionnaire, like the one we use, I think. uh, (laughs) Ours, of course, is is really good, yes. Exactly. Of course, you know, I wrote it, so course i believe that it's the best one we could come up it it does get into a little bit of the risk perception or the understanding of risk too to say you know the markets do go up and the markets do go down and what are you going to do when the market goes down especially after it's gone up for a while but our regular worksheets can't really establish how much risk might be enough how much risk a client has to take in order to meet their goals Only at least a rudimentary financial planning process can really get to that kind of information, that risk capacity, risk part of the process, right? In order to understand that, we have to know what a client's goals are, what they actually have currently, what kind of resources they can devote to those goals, and what kind of time frame we have to work with, those kinds of things. It's certainly possible that someone could come to us, if a client comes to us with enough assets to meet Mm -hmm. their goals, to provide for the retirement income they need without significant risk of running out, that kind of thing, then we probably shouldn't, even if they have a high tolerance for risk, even if their attitude towards risk is dramatically you know, higher than it needs to be, we shouldn't recommend that they, get, that they put their money into a really risky portfolio. 
even if they could stomach the changes. Even um, if they're young and they are fine, you know, being in a lot of stocks and right. don't care about market fluctuations and that type of thing. Sure. Now, with just about every portfolio, we're probably going to want to include some stocks in there just because we want to make sure that inflation risk, I'll get to that. I'll come back. <laughs> let me come back to inflation. But just to make sure that some of the portfolio risks that are involved in, in a low and a very conservative portfolio, there still are some things we have to do to manage those risks. But it's certainly possible for somebody to come to us with enough money and for us to be able to say, cool. Uh, we, we can we can put you in a pretty low risk portfolio because you have enough. We don't have to put your money at risk, at significant risk, in order to make sure that you continue to meet your goals. Right. Yeah. And to make sure that your portfolio outlives you. So, but it's also possible that a client can come to us. Kind of hate to put it this way, but not enough, and with no real prospect of ever getting enough. And in that case, it's hard to know what to do because no amount of risk would be sufficient to make up the, the distance that they have between where they are and what their goals are. In those kinds of cases, that's where we have to get deep into the weeds on the financial planning process and be able to say, okay, your goals are too far out ahead of your means. So either you know, it doesn't look like we can affect your means, your income, your current portfolio, enough to be able to meet your goals. So we may need to adjust your goal. And that can be a very hard conversation. It is a hard conversation. And we do have to have that on occasion. Mm -hmm. It happens. Right. But those clients still want to invest sustainably and they still have assets to invest. Sure. And and we can do some good, certainly. And, and we can help them get closer to their goals than they might have been otherwise. But sometimes we have to admit to ourselves and them that, you know, unless something dramatically changes, we're going to come up short. Yeah. Most people, you know, that's really rare. Most people come somewhere in, in between where we can, we can help them. We can help them to figure out how much risk they need to take in order to meet them and how to manage the, the disconnect probably between what they ha what they need to take and their risk capacity and their risk tolerance, their attitude toward the risk that they need to take. <laughs> And, but that, you know, leads us back to the understanding of risk question, right? How do people understand what risks they need to take in order to meet their goals? Do you find this to be more of a psychological question with clients? Or is this a practical question? Well, now the philosopher in me says, wait a second. I know, and I'm throwing this at <laughs> you, sure but that's... I'm just curious how you find it, because I may have a different answer than you. Yeah, I think that the risk tolerance risk tolerance is a psychological matter. You know, how much uh, people are really willing to accept in the way of volatility in their portfolio is a psychological issue. Their risk capacity, their need for risk is much more objective, right? You know, we need to have X amount of dollars in order to be able to have enough money to retire on. Their understanding of risk, the risk percept, that's very much a psychological. Well, I mean, that's that's an information thing, right? It's that's how the do they, practical piece. Yeah, that's the understanding. So we can talk with clients about what risk means and what kinds of risk exist in a portfolio and how we manage those. So it's not so much psychological as educational. I yeah. Yes. Right. So you know, one 
important part of my job is to try and put stuff together so that people can understand what the risks are and what risk means in the context of their investment. Which we try to do a bit in their investment policy statement. We talk about risk. Yeah, um, we, we have a five paragraph, it's about half a page, I think, discussion of what risk is in, in the context of investment. And But I will agree with you. I wasn't sure how philosophical you were going to get <laughs> on the, the emotional part of risk and how clients relate to it. It's very emotional. They tend to forget. Well, I don't know if they forget, but they tend to lean towards the emotional rather than the practical when responding to risk in their portfolios mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. maybe a quarterly basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting uh, the way people re respond to volatility. As I mentioned a little while ago, you know, when a portfolio goes up, even if it goes up, dr especially when it goes up dramatically, people are happy about that one, even though that volatility is an indicator that there's something interesting going on either in the markets or in their portfolio. It's when it goes down dramatic that they don't like it. And they, interestingly, they anchor too. Clients tend to say, okay, my portfolio went from a hundred to $120,000. So my portfolio value is 120. If it goes back down to 119, oh no, I've lost a thousand dollars. Right. Without recognizing or remembering that it just went up 19. Before, you know, it went up 20 and then came back one. That's, you know, that's harder to remember. Right. So they anchor on the biggest number that they've ever seen in their portfolio. And that's now its value. Right. The other thing I would note is that clients are tentatively happy in recent years about the large upsides we've seen. I've had many conversations where clients are thinking, is this sustainable? Should I pull back? I'm concerned. Yeah, sustainable um, in the non-environmental sense. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah, I think there. it's true. Yeah, people love to see gains in their portfolios, but they also, there's a lot of, how to put it, when people see that the markets are hitting new all-time highs, there is a sense of, oh, wait, does that mean that things are about to go south? Because they remember the last time people talked about all-time highs at, at great length, then the markets dropped from there. And so, yeah, it, it's always, we do have to remind people that we want to see the market go up, right? That's, we want to see profits creating uh, new value. We want to see, uh, well, yeah, we want to see the market moving up. And over time, a long enough period of time, it does. And I think they wonder about that in terms of risk, but I digress and I, no, that's okay. I should yeah. allow no, no, that's you good. to go back to your risk conversation that you were having. Yeah. Um, no. So I wanted to shift a little bit, you know, to talk about the client understanding of risk or the perception of risk and to talk about the, the two basic types of risk from an, an investing theory standpoint. So there are two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's systematic risks, which are fundamentally unavoidable right? Market risks, the stock market is volatile, it goes up and it goes down. There's interest rate risks. Interest rates change all the time. Maybe not by much, but they do change. And when they do change dramatically, it affects the, the value of our bond portfolios, but it also impacts the stock values too, sometimes, in some ways. And there's currency risks, you know, um, if we're investing, especially if we're investing in foreign companies, 
if their currency suddenly changes its value dramatically, well, that's going to impact their company's value dramatically. There's also inflation risk, as I mentioned earlier. You know, the fact that two, two and a half, maybe three percent. Right now, it's running a little hot, or it's, inflation's a little high right now, partly because of the wackiness of the of the last year. We don't know quite how to make that make sense. But inflation takes the value of today's dollar and makes it worth less tomorrow. If inflation suddenly takes off, or you know, there are a variety of reasons that it might, it can drag on a portfolio in terms of the actual spending value of a portfolio. I think we're all familiar with that concept. There's also a, another systematic risk that we can't really avoid is liquidity, right? If we have sudden change in our circumstance and we need to sell something, ooh, if that happens at a moment when the markets are down substantially, mm. wow, that can be a real problem. It's a never fun. The other side of it is, if we actually live longer than anybody expects us to, and we have longevity risk, right, where we get to the point where we're running out of money because of how long we actually are living, that's sort of the other side of the liquidity risk. So those kinds of systematic risks are simply unavoidable. You know, every investment has some, that's why we earn returns for them. And the more return we expect from, a, from an investment, the riskier it is. That's non-negotiable. <laughs> That's just part of the way that economics works. On the other hand, there are some risks that are non-systematic and are that are, we can diversify our way out of. So concentration risk, you know, if we have half of our portfolio is made up of a single stock, that we can do, we can fix that, right, by selling some of that <laughs> stock. There's individual country risk. So if somebody has a whole bunch of shares from South Korea or whatever, we again can sell a bunch of those shares and diversify into other parts of the world. So we want to make sure that we have a good diversification, broad diversification around the world. Credit default risk, you know, we don't want to own only the bonds of one company or one country, because again, if something bad happens to that country or that company, that can take our entire investment. But if we own lots of different bonds from lots of different places and lots of different co companies. So 100% bonds in, in Kyrgyzstan is probably not the best probably not a good idea yeah, yeah. but even a but and 100 percent of your bond portfolio in the united states probably also not a good idea because bad things can happen too yeah so you know when we think about the risk from an investing theory standpoint we want to focus you know we want to make as much as possible our diversified portfolio we want to make our portfolio as diversified as possible in order to cut out those diversifiable risks so that the only risks that we leave are the kinds that we can't get rid of after i think that you know diversification and the discipline to stick with our plan which is what we're doing yeah. to help with risk so exactly. when we talk about how we handle risk it's looking at diversification, as you just talked about in mm -hmm. those pieces, and discipline. Right. So when we have a client who calls and is, for lack of better term, maybe freaking out or scared or mm -hmm. very, very concerned, we talk about the discipline that we've created in their investment policy statement. And has your situation changed? Do we need to look at your investment policy statement? Uh, mm -hmm. I know you're concerned because this week has been terrible in the market or whatever that might be. 
you know, looking at, do you need more income? Do you need, what is it that's making you concerned? Are you still in it for the long haul? And yeah. having those conversations. And we had a lot of those conversations last spring. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, when, when the coronavirus crisis took the market in very weird directions. We had a lot of people calling in to say, what do I need to do? What kind of changes do I need to make? How do I handle this? And fortunately, we were able to, to uh, in talking to people, we were able to help most of our clients remain calm, stick to their plan, because we were able to say, look, we've got this 10-year plan mm-hmm. for your investments. This investment policy statement has, yes, we need to review it every three years or so, but we're thinking of it within it. I'm using my hands to gesture, so you can see that on the podcast. <laughs> right. Um, we both talk with our hands. So we have this document that we need to review every three years or so, but it has a 10-year time frame or so built into it. What about right now is so impactful, so different that we need to change our 10-year plan? Usually the answer is, ah, yes, right. No, we don't need to make changes to my 10-year plan. I just wanted to know if there was anything that we ought to do, if there were any changes. And, you know, we... Um, it's the time for us to bring out our therapeutic aspect of our job. Yeah, you know, th- there is a, a real helping uh, aspect. My mom always wanted me to be a bit to be a therapist. Well, there you go. You got <laughs> you gave her what she wanted. I know there's a lot more things you could share, Johan, about the details on risk, and we could probably have an hour long podcast on that. But I want to take a little bit of a turn and talk about another piece of risk that has been in the news quite a bit lately, and you know, for the last two or three years, and that's ESG risk and specifically the risk of not reporting on ESG. So that's really been in the news quite a bit. And what we're hearing a lot from some big names and some, from, from some white papers and from some, you know, big studies is that if you don't report on your ESG criteria, then it's becoming risky business. Yeah, exactly. More and more of the the big names in the investment industry are coming. Part of the reason that they're getting into the ESG sphere and putting so much money into putting out their own ESG funds is that they're, the consensus now has come to be that these are material business criteria. Absolutely. And we have to pay attention to their to a business's environmental, social, and governance issues. If we don't, uh, we're missing some really important fa- features of their businesses, factors that we need to consider. Absolutely. So part of the reason that we're seeing uh, more and more big money management companies coming into this space is just that the, the recognition that it's an important part of what it is. It's becoming a material fact factor. You know, back in 2019, there was an article in Risk Management magazine. And, you know, they were discussing that ESG criteria is becoming critical to a company's performance. You know, and, you know, we're when we're seeing these traditional magazines also talking about it, we really want to note that, again, this is becoming... I don't want to use the word mainstream, but it is yeah. and important. You know, we we're looking at the 
broader understanding of reputational risk, of financial risk related to ESG factors. And I think that's really important to note. Yeah, I think so too. Um, there's been a little bit of pushback against that recently, but the in some of the stuff that I've been reading, but the, the overwhelming majority of the new studies coming out and the new white papers and so on recognize that, that we have to take account of these environmental, social, and governance issues in one way or another. Right. Even if they end up being somehow secondary to our to the basic profit motive for some companies. Right. It's still at least they're beginning to consider that this might be. <laughs> yeah, and I think some companies find it secondary and many, many companies are finding it to be right up there with other items that they're putting in their 10Ks and 10Q yeah. financial reports. These are, are being put in those reports now mm -hmm. because they are material to address for shareholders. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting to watch as those those sustainability reports get to be almost as important as the profit and loss. And there's also this question, big question, about how this data is gathered, how it's being reported, mm -hmm. whose criteria is being used, you know, who's agreeing and who's, you know, pretending who's- Pretending to agree. <laughs> right, who's pretending to agree Who's setting the criteria standards? Is it the SEC? Is it uh, nonprofit organizations? So there's a lot of talk around all of that. As a board member of US CIF, we are also having this conversation and looking at whether or not we should be involved in that. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And I'm very excited about the prospects around that. It is so much work to be done. But it's also very interesting for us as people who've been doing this for more than 20 years now each right <laughs> um, that uh, to see these mainline uh, mainstream investment advisors and investment companies having their come to jesus moment and finally realizing that the stuff that we've been talking to them about for 20 years or more right really does matter and it Absolutely. matters to their clients and it matters to the <laughs> global economy and to the global health and that is something that really excites me, that it matters to the global economy, and so many are recognizing that. Yeah. And I just want to mention, you know, I have to mention, I, it's so important for me to mention that if our listeners want to discuss how to look at risk in their portfolios, they can reach us by calling our office at 505 982 9661 and speak to either Johan or myself, or they can email us at info at horizonssfs.com. But I think Eric might have a few questions. Did we well, confuse you? No, not at all. I mean, it, it, there's so much, like you said, you could go on for another hour easily. Johan, you said something at the very beginning of the podcast that kind of stuck with me around if somebody has a drop in their portfolio, right, that's a risk that happens. Are they going to run and hide or they're going to run and flee from that? Or are they going to take that opportunity to maybe invest more? A lot of us don't even know that that's the option, right? We, I've got my investments and this is what they're doing. But when is it time to have that conversation with an advisor, with you, to say, hey, look, it's dropping. What do I do now? If you were to suggest that to me, that'd be almost counterintuitive. Wait a second, it's kind of going down. 
and you want me to invest more. So how do you have that conversation? Well, there are two ways. The first is that in the beginning of our relationship, when we're looking at those initial questionnaires, those initial worksheets, we do have a bunch of questions on there about, you know, what is your attitude? What do you want? What might you want to do if the market were to drop 10% in a very short period of time? So we do, mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the conversation that we have with our clients, discuss that particular possibility. But we also, you know, when a client calls in and says, hey, you know, I've noticed that the market is dropping. Um, my portfolio has lost 10% of its value. What should I do? Mm-hmm. Being able then to remind them and say, hey, you know, we, we did have this conversation when we started. We looked at it at that time. And this is, you know, this is two kinds of opportunity. It could be an opportunity to sell everything and, and pull in our horns and just try and write it out. But it could be an opportunity to add to the portfolio in some mm-hmm. kinds of portfolio. And to be able to say to people, hey, you know, when, if the, uh, if the car you've been looking at on the car lot suddenly drops 10% in its price, do you say, oh no, that, something must be wrong. I don't want to buy that car. Or do you say, yippee, I'm going to go ahead and make that <laughs> Exactly. Now, yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> or in a grocery store, if you see that, that the strawberries are on 30% off. Well, that's a great time to buy strawberries, right? Mm-hmm. That's not an indicator that you should run away from the strawberries and leave the store entirely with all your cash in your pocket. Trying to remind people that those options exist is an important part of what we do. Yeah. And, and honestly, if the strawberries are down 30%, I'm getting ice cream to go with them. So yeah. <laughs> it, there's even more investing involved there. And the store is doing much better because there's got to be some biscuits involved. I mean, just, strawberry shortcake is on the list. There we so, go, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, now I, I'm hungry. I know, right? So now it's, it's time to break for lunch. And I, I think it, a lot of what I'm hearing from today's podcast is You've got to build that relationship because there's got to be trust involved in being able to ask those questions and then having people be able to answer them honestly. Well, we do try to work with our clients and build trust with them because I don't think you can have a good financial Mm -hmm. relationship with your clients or clients with their advisor if you don't work through these risk questions from the very beginning. I think that's very important. Yeah, And that's absolutely. one of our main goals. Well, Kim and Johan, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the calmness, Johan, that you bring to the table here. Not that Kim is he not does. calm, but she, she brings, yeah, you'll be the exciting parent there, Kim. <laughs> and and <laughs> Johan brings that steady calm uh, that, that when a storm does hit, right? That's Johan, I'd love to talk to you about it. So this was great. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, our last thank you always goes to the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly, Greg Kyle, and Johan Clausen. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Kim and Johan come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at kim at horizons.com 
sfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at Horizons S-U-S-T-F-I-N or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.